Welcome to Lightning in a Bottle, a podcast series for owners and key stakeholders in privately held companies and the professionals that surround them. My name is Josh Pottinger, and together with Jason Georgianis, we run ATX Wealth Partners here at UBS. Jason and I have been teamed up now for over 20 years, and each of us has over 25 years of experience in the financial services industry. Our goal is to bring real-world perspectives to help you prepare yourself, your family, and your business for the day that you decide to monetize some or all of your ownership position in the company. Throughout this series, we will provide our own thoughts as well as interview key people along the way. Feel free to email us at atxwealthpartners at ubs.com. And with that, let's go ahead and get started. Okay, good afternoon, everybody. This is Josh Pottinger here, and in today's episode, we have one of our UBS colleagues on the line, and his name is Brian Fishbein. He is the uh, managing director here at UBS and is with our investment banking group. He's based out of West Palm Beach office and is focused on covering our area of the country. So, Brian, uh, you can think of Brian as our primary initial point of contact with our investment banking group whenever we have a client or a prospective client that's looking at maybe raising some capital or some taking on some debt for the company or going through some sort of merger or acquisition. So Brian's he was a managing director in the technology, media, and telecom investment banking space based out of New York. And over the years, he's covered the information services and data analytics sectors. And Scott, he has a, a broad experience across the technology space in general. So prior to his investment banking career, he was a CPA with Ernst & Young and Arthur Anderson. He earned his MBA uh, with honors over at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business and uh, also has an accounting background over down in, at the University of Florida. So, Brian, thank you for hopping on today. Thanks for having me, Josh. I am looking forward to it. Well, good deal. Brian, we've got over the next 30, 45 minutes or so, we wanted to pick your brain and ask you a few questions here. We'll get started. So, the M&A activity in 2023 has experienced a very slow start and shows a few signs of really picking back up soon. So I guess to kick things off, when you look at the acquisitions that are getting done right now, what are the dynamics of those trades and, and what do you think is most important to buyers in the, in the market? First, Josh, I do have to say that the views that I express today on this forum are my own personal views and do not represent the views or positions held by UBS. Additionally, what I say today is for information and education purposes only, uh, none of it of which constitute investment advice or financial recommendations. But with that, let me let me handle your first question. Indeed, MA volume in the first quarter this year in the U.S. is down 50% year over year. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, deals are still getting done, but are predominantly smaller transactions with a real emphasis on higher quality businesses in defensive sectors that have a track record of, of profitable growth. Mm -hmm. I think another Thing that you're seeing in deal activity are corporates who are evaluating their portfolios and divesting non-core assets where it, where it makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I think the the cost of capital and the reduced leverage have been real headwinds to transactions and have put a lot of pressure on on valuation levels. Mm-hmm. I think what we've seen, you know, before the significant interest rate increases, you often saw private equity doing deals in a you know close to zero uh, percent interest rate environment really competing with strategics Mm -hmm. with uh, significant ability to even outbid strategics. And now I think we've seen that pendulum shift back a little bit where well-capitalized strategic buyers are now more, you know, have have more of an advantage Mm -hmm. in competitive processes. The other dynamic you're seeing on the private equity side is deals are getting done by writing larger equity checks and relying on the direct lender market as opposed to the banks. You know, from a seller's point of view, you're seeing more use of seller financing, Mm. uh, more equity rollover, earnouts, and other types of contingent payments. Mm -hmm. And buyers, you know, are are really kind of enhancing their due diligence efforts and oftentimes, you know, underwriting to more conservative forecasts, recession cases, things like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, understanding business uh, performance and projections, always important, mm-hmm. but I think incredibly, incredibly important in, in the point in the cycle where we are right now. Right. Brian, for the benefit of the of, of the audience here, can you break down the size like when you say you know smaller deals like how do you think about the different sizes like lower middle market middle market larger deals like can you give us some parameters to kind of think about that's first question there second question is you know with the recent uh, deal with silicon valley bank and 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 what's going on there as far as providers of debt you know where where are companies looking for or, or, or where can people find that liquidity now? Yeah, so let me tackle the first one. Um, everybody segments the market a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. When I quoted you know, volume down 50% mm-hmm. year on year, it's obviously publicly reported data, which skews uh, uh, larger businesses. Mm-hmm. And when I say small in this context, think sub uh, a billion dollar deals, as opposed to mega, you know, billion plus, $5 billion plus transactions. Mm-hmm. Anecdotally, we're, we're still seeing a lot of activity in what we'll call the middle market, which, you know, call that 250 to a billion dollars mm-hmm. of enterprise value. Okay. Um, that's sort of our kind of sweet spot in the middle market. But in terms of the dislocation with the banks, you're, you're absolutely seeing pullback from traditional lenders, both in terms of, you know, LTV ratios, so quantum of debt relative to enterprise value, uh, leverage multiples. Obviously, cost of financing has risen. I think you're seeing banks pick their spots with businesses that they know and issuers that they know and have an existing relationship with. And it 
can seem to be much harder to develop a new banking relationship in this environment. Mm -hmm. That being said, there's a significant amount of non-bank capital that's out there to help finance organic growth and you know acquisition financing for businesses in the form of you know direct lenders which has become a, a massive massive market mm -hmm. really from kind of the lower middle market now all the way up to you know mega deals mm -hmm. the direct lenders there's a significant amount of dry powder there and so there are there are alternatives to you know, the traditional banking market when folks are looking for for capital especially at leverage levels that are you know above the norm for what a bank might do mm -hmm. okay great thank you now you mentioned some defensive areas you know that's a it's a more i guess robust area of of activity right now so any specific sectors or industries that you think will be the the focal point when as we look in the second half of this year of 2023? Yeah, I mean, when you look at what happened in the first quarter, healthcare, industrials, and technology made up about 80% of the reported M&A deal volume. And the healthcare leading the charge at over 30% of deal volume was a big increase relative to the first quarter of last year where that sector was less than 10% of reported deal volume. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to continue to see uh, healthcare industrials and tech be active mm -hmm. in the second quarter and the second half of this year, you know, followed by, you know, financials, real estate, consumer retail, uh, consumer products, et cetera. But I, I do think those three sectors are, are going to continue to be active. Mm -hmm. There continues to be a need Obviously, by corporates for inorganic growth, companies need to expand geographies. They need to build their technology capabilities, expand their product sets, their potential distribution, and they're gonna they're gonna look at M and A, you know, as a way to achieve some of those corporate goals. Both corporates and private equity firms continue to build their pipeline of M and A targets. On our side, we're constantly having dialogue with both strategics and private equity folks. And I think when opportunities present themselves, people are, are, are ready to transact. You know, we've had sort of this bid-ask spread uh, that was, you know, fairly wide over the last several quarters. I think there's signs of that gap narrowing a little bit. You know, the operating impact of COVID-related supply and demand fluctuations are starting to work through financial results and are allowing for a little bit more clarity on what normalized earnings actually look like, right? So people can sort of model out their businesses and model out acquisition targets with a little bit more confidence. And I think, you know, some of that time that's gone by and, and a little more clarity should uh, should help folks get more kind of conviction and deals that they're looking at. And I do think you're, again, seeing, you know, deals take a little longer to happen in this environment. Mm -hmm. 
what's a typical timeline? I mean, usually I think back of the envelope nine months. I mean, is that is it taking longer than that or? It all, frankly, depends. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, you know that that could be a fair timeline from when someone says, "Okay, let's let's get prepared." Um, you know, you're a founder of a business. You've made the decision that you want to go to market and sell. You know that timeline, six to nine months, is reasonable in terms of preparation, going out to market. You know, letting folks do diligence, negotiating transaction documents, and signing and closing a transaction. But you know, you've seen things come together a lot quicker, and we've worked on transactions that have you know taken you know a lot longer than that as well. So a lot of it, frankly, is situation situation specific. Mm-hmm. Okay. The activity that's happened in the first part of this year has it. What's I mean general ratio of the transactions that were financial buyers versus strategic buyers? Do you have a sense of? Yeah, I I think it's almost 70, 30, 75, 25 strategic versus financial. Oh, okay. Yeah, much more uh-huh. being done by strategics than private equity buyers, which is not surprising Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. given the interest rate environment that we're in. And again, pullback from banks and right. The the math has changed significantly Mm -hmm. for private equity funds, especially, you know, relative to the environment we were in, you know, a year ago or 18 months ago. Right. Okay. Right. For context and there's always an edge. There's always, you know, if you look at the numbers, there's always more strategic activity than there is private equity. Mm-hmm. But the spread, you know, being kind of 70, 75, 25, 30, it's a, it's a bigger spread than what we've seen, you know, since 2020. All right. So moving on here, if, you, if we're talking to, um, to a business owner and they're looking to, to sell or, or exit their business in the next, say, 12 to 18 months. What are some things that they should be thinking about? How can they position the business for the best possible value? And and I guess a, another layer of that question is, you know, how far in advance should one start to plan in your mind, coming from your perspective? Yeah, I think if you are thinking about a potential exit in 12 to 18, when I say exit, that's selling a majority of your business. So mm-hmm. anything more than, than selling control of your business, anything more than 50%. Mm-hmm. If you think you want to do that in the next 12 to 18 months, I think you need to start planning for that today. And and maybe even, you know, yesterday. I, I think and it will depend on the sort of how institutional or how mature your business is in terms of you know, budgeting, forecasting, financial reporting, and all of those functions. Preparation is key when you are preparing to sell your business. Historical financials, KPIs, you know, data packs, how the executive team manages the business on a, you know, whether it's weekly, monthly basis in terms of you know, analytics and reporting, all, all of that 
information is going to be incredibly important to to buyers. And so I think you want to, you know, have your ducks in a row and and be prepared and have a real understanding of the historical performance of your business, the current performance, and what's the plan going forward? What's the budget for this year? How are we tracking towards it? What's the forecast uh, for one year out, two years out, three years out, and how are we going to get there? Because an important part of finding the right partner uh, for your business is is going to be telling that story mm-hmm. and connecting the dots for them. If it's a strategic buyer, why is it must own for them? What value can they add? Where are the synergies? If it's a private equity buyer, how are they going to be able to add value to the business and take it to the next level so that they can get their two and a half, you know, three times their money return? Mm-hmm. I think thinking about how you're going to tell that story is incredibly important. And, you know, preparation, when you think of running a competitive auction process, which really, you know, at the end of the day requires, you know, you only need one party. Having two parties or more to make it, you know, competitive is obviously key to to driving financial value. And the better prepared you are, Mm -hmm. the easier it is to introduce new parties in and create the competitive tension that's required to run a good sell side process for your business. So I can't emphasize enough the preparation. I think, you know, if you're 12, 18, 24 months out, you should start thinking about advisors, talking to advisors, getting their views on the business, market dynamics, potential buyers. You ultimately want to hire an advisor that understands your business very well can tell the story the right way, understands the buyer universe, understands how buyers think about acquisitions. And those are the kind of characteristics you're looking for in an advisor. And they should be helping you, you know, 12, 18, 24 months ahead of, you know, going to market with the transaction. I think when we're advising companies, we look for, we look to build those relationships long-term so that when it is time to go to market, you know, we, we've been along with the management team for at least part of the journey, have a real in-depth understanding of their business, the growth levers, the historical performance, et cetera. And that way we can, you know, we can uh, approach each process in a bespoke fashion and make sure that we're getting the right result for, uh, for the owners. As you walk through that answer, it, it brought up some other some other questions in my mind, which was, if you're creating the story, you're building the story, that story that you present to a strategic buyer is, could be a lot different than the story you deliver to the financial buyer. And the value that you could command could be quite a bit different depending on who the buyer is. Would that be an accurate yeah, Statement I think that's there? right. I mean, yeah, I think you really have to understand, you have to understand how each buyer is going to, how each buyer thinks about m and right? If it's a strategic buyer, what are the key financial metrics for them, mm-hmm. right? And that's going to vary based on company. How does your business fit into their broader portfolio? And what synergies, whether that's on the the revenue side or the cost synergies are created by the combination. And, you know, I think when you're 
when you're having discussions with buyers, you just you have to weave those things into the discussion and into the positioning of the business. So you, you know, you're not going to completely position the business differently for every single buyer. Sure. But you you are gonna a good advisor is gonna have a sense of what really matters to buyer A and what really matters to buyer B, and they might not be the same thing. Right. But if you can, you know, posi- again, position the company right to hit the right buttons for those buyers, I think it can, you know, result in a really good outcome. You know, and similar things on the private on the private equity side too. You know, not all private equity buyers are the same. They all do not approach acquisitions in the same way. They all deliver value, you know, often in different ways. Mm-hmm. And so I think having an understanding of, of who's at the table is important. And I also think developing relationships and you can, this is why you sort of want to be planning, you know, 12, 18 months ahead, you know, oftentimes having relationships with potential buyers um, well ahead of some sort of formal process is helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a strategic buyer, you may have a commercial relationship anyway. You, you know, you may be familiar with each other, but you know, having initial discussions with potential private equity buyers mm-hmm. um, can can also be a really good idea ahead of a process. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like I mean, what you want to do is you want to develop your sort of baseline foundation story with the, your KPIs, your financials, your analytics, your historical performance numbers, forecasts. You've got that sort of baseline story. And then be willing to be nimble, have your, you know, be listening for potential new opportunities that could pop up with a strategic that may not have been uncovered before you started the process. And I think of the story like in one of our past podcasts, you know, we use the example of Facebook buying Instagram for like a billion dollars and everybody thought they were nuts. And then, you know, five years later, Instagram's you know, generating $20 billion of revenue or something. I can't remember what the exact numbers were, but it was actually a really good deal at this, at the time that it was made, everybody thought it was a crazy deal, but looking with the benefit of hindsight, it's like, okay, there was a reason, you know, that, that was a perfect fit and a great opportunity, you know, to, to add a significant business line. Yeah. And frankly, a, you know, a must own, mm-hmm. um, for the survival of, right. of the acquirer in that situation. Right. Yeah, look again, every every situation's different. I think you're right. Like you need to have you need to be the master of your own story. Mm-hmm. It all has to tie together. Again, historical performance, current performance, and where you're gonna take the business in the future. Mm-hmm. And then there are little pivots that you can make in a process depending on you know, on who you're speaking with and where they think value could be. You know, another thing that we had, uh, talk about with with folks is like if you're thinking about selling or exiting the business in the next 12 to 18 months, you have to be prepared mentally and still have some gas in the tank to be able to help them fulfill that fulfill that story that you give. In other words, you know, if you want to sell and go away, it's going to be a lot different number than selling, staying on for the next three to five years and helping to build out that vision. And so I think mentally, we encourage people to start really thinking about this three to five years in advance. Because if you're already, yeah. if, you're already if your gas tank's already close to empty and now you're gonna sell it, that's gonna be a, 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 a much more challenging, you know, three to five years. If you wanna maximize your exit. Yeah. 
And it, again, it depends. You know, mm-hmm. if I, I've sold middle market, you know, sub billion dollar businesses to, you know, fifty billion dollar public companies, mm-hmm. it, it tends to be less important mm-hmm. in that scenario, right? right. A year, you know, you're, you're, you know, the, the strategic's going to want a year for the transition. Mm-hmm. And I've sold businesses to, you know, private equity buyers where management is incredibly integral. And they're, you know, they're, they're, like you said, there's a real commitment needed from management and some, you know, skin that's still in the game from management to execute on the plan that you talked about during the process going forward, right? Yep. Like you said, three years. Uh, And, you know, look, oftentimes that second bite of the apple for, for an entrepreneur who's selling his business. Oftentimes, that second bite of the apple can be even more uh, valuable financially than that original sale. Right. You know, depending on what your partner can bring to the table. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you got to mentally prepare. And, and and when you're going through the pr- process, you obviously have to put numbers forth that you have the confidence that mm-hmm. that you can you can hit because you know there's a good chance you're you could be held to them. <laughs> right. Right, right. You know, today's environment obviously a lot different than it was, you know, a year and a half ago. And um, you know, what are some of the options that business leaders have when they're looking to raise capital right now for ongoing business needs or maybe they want to make us, you know, expand strategically. I mean, what what are their opportunities there? What should they be looking for? So I, I like I said earlier, like there, there's a lot of dry powder mm-hmm. out there, whether it's private equity, direct lenders, VCs, you know, corporates with strong balance sheets. There is capital out there looking for high quality investment opportunities. I think in this environment, you're certainly seeing investors prioritize cash flow and profitability over you know, unprofitable growth at all costs. And and the other thing that, that issuers and companies should expect is that, you know, investors are looking for downside protection and structures, right? And that could, you know, everything from, you know, convertible preferred securities, uh, deal terms that have minimum return thresholds, like multiples of invested capital or IRRs, Right. So, you know, things can be more expensive and will be more expensive in this environment when you're looking for capital. But high quality businesses that can offer a return can can get deals done. But don't wait. Right. Like I I tell, you know, some entrepreneurs and founders who are out raising capital, you know, I've 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 been with people who, you know, got deals done, didn't love the valuation at the time, so didn't take as much money as they could have. Mm-hmm. And then you fast forward 18 months, 24 months, and they say to you, you know, darn, I should have taken, when I had the opportunity to take more money, I should have taken it. You know, I wish I took the financial risk off the table because the operating environment can be uncertain, but I know I have a solid business plan. And I really wish I took the the financial risk off the table. So you know, so it depends on the deal. But I, you know, 
taking the money when it's available, when you have an offer on the table and it's important uh, to capitalize, I think it's important and, and, and not to wait. Don't wait until your back's against the wall and you need capital. If you, you look at your business plan over the next one, two, three years, you know, get yourself ready. If you think you're going to need to go out and raise capital, be prepared so that when there is a, an attractive window, you can hit it. Mm-hmm. And right, remember, again, this is a situation like de- deals are taking longer to come together, right? Yep. Investors are doing more due diligence, et cetera. So, you know, I tell people not to wait. Yeah, they say borrow when you don't need it or something like that. Right. <laughs> Let's talk about the private financing markets and, and what they're experiencing right now. You know, it's the same market dynamics or... Are they having the same sort of issues as the public markets? How does that differ between the you know public and private markets right now? Yeah, I think a lot of what's happening in the public markets bleeds into the private markets. I think we're all in this higher interest rate, high inflation, slower growth, geopolitical uncertainty, you know, some market volatility, banking sector confidence, all that stuff is top of mind to everyone. I think the market expects a near-term recession, but I think there's less consensus regarding, you know, how deep and how long it may last. You know, uh, so I think these are all, you know, th- these are the issues that we're grappling with in the private markets. I think this is the stuff that leads to to investors focused on super high quality businesses. Again, less less focus on growth at all costs, and investors, you know, wanting to make sure they're they're protected on the downside. And then taking their time, really understanding projections, business models, you know, the impact of the current environment, really understanding the outlook and, you know, things taking some time to, uh, to come together. But, you know, those are the dynamics we're seeing in, in the private market. And it's not, it's not dissimilar to what I think we've been seeing in the public market with flights to quality and, and and free cash flow and profitability. Mm-hmm. So the market has shifted from the growth at all costs mindset to prioritizing cash flow and, and profitability. For sure. Yeah. Like good old fashioned business. It's making some money and it's profitable. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How, how, how yeah. long were we in that sort of growth at all costs phase? We had a good run. I mean, it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it, it, it was a while. We remember that everybody with a business plan was raising significant amounts of capital mm-hmm. at crazy valuations. You know, so I think we were in a really frothy market for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, where we are now, in some ways, feels a lot more, you know, fundamentals based. Mm -hmm. And again, I think this getting through all the, you know, demand and supply fluctuations related to COVID and all that uncertainty. So we we definitely went through a good amount of time where, you know, there were revenue tailwinds in some businesses from COVID, obviously cost pressures in a lot of businesses. And it was very hard for, investors and acquirers to really get a sense for what a you know normalized earnings profile looked like for a business and i think 
you know, some of the time that's gone by and, and getting through some of that, uh, some of those issues um, gives folks more clarity and should be more conducive environment to transact. How long do you think this is, this is Brian's opinion, you know, how long do you think we're going to be in this new sort of world? I wish I knew, Josh. I wish I knew. We need we need your crystal ball um, here, you know. Yeah, yeah. Make the joke. If I knew, I would. I wouldn't, <laughs> we wouldn't be doing this podcast. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I think you know. I think we're in it for the rest of 2023. You know, the fourth quarter of 2022 was really difficult, and I think pre SVB, there was a lot more discussion activity with both strategics and uh, private equity and with owners and entrepreneurs and sellers you know people were getting much more op- optimistic about the outlook and were having discussions about selling their businesses and raising capital etc i think the banking crisis really threw us off the rails you know we continue to be in a really high interest rate environment and there's still you know there's still uncertainty in the economic outlook you know so i think we're in you know it's going to be a bit uncertain i think for Mm -hmm. the next couple of quarters that being said we continue to have dialogue with folks around monetizations you know and and again high quality businesses that have weathered the the storms and have solid management teams and good fundamentals um, you know, those businesses are going to be attractive to buyers that need to continue to do M&A to grow and to private equity firms that, frankly, you know, need to find new platforms mm-hmm. and transact. So, yeah. you, you, you mentioned earlier in our conversation, the bid ask spreads were quite wide and they've come in. Is the bid coming up or is the ask coming down or is it kind of equal on <laughs> both sides? Because, you know, I mean, we all know that anchoring is a very strong and powerful, you know, behavioral heuristic out there. And, you know, we all, we all have these memories of a year and a half ago of these like ridiculous multiples, right? So like, how long does that, how long does that memory, when, when does that memory start to fade or become a little bit more realistic and, you know, in this kind of new world? Yeah. I mean, I think we're, if you look at transaction multiples are more towards pre COVID norms, I think it's frankly more the ask is coming down. Mm-hmm. I think valuation expectations when, when valuations were through the roof, you know, valuation expectations were super high, you know, and, and as things came back down to earth, I think it's hard for sellers to adjust to that, you know, kind of new normal of multiples. But I think you're, we're seeing those expectations come down to, you know, more normalized levels. So I think it's more of the ass coming down. Gotcha. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Well, Brian, if, if uh, for, for a listener out there that's running a company and is thinking about uh, maybe having an exit and they just don't even know where to start, you know, what do you, what's your advice to them? What's the first order of business? Yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a good question. For the business owner that, that doesn't know where to start, but is thinking that they are ready to you know, monetize the business in some way, I think they should have a conversation with a trusted, trusted advisor, right? I mean, anyone who's, I would think, running a business has had, has a either you know some sort of mentor maybe someone on an advisory board or on their board or 
a financial advisor, an investment banker, a lawyer, you know, someone who's been through it before. And, you know, most entrepreneurs lean on, you know, others who have advised them in the past, um, you know, when growing their businesses. I think those same folks have been through sales processes. So I think start, you know, start having those conversations with folks. Reach out to your financial advisor. If you know, you know, an investment, again, an investment banker or a lawyer, you can start to have those conversations and begin to educate yourself on the process and the timing and what it might look like and who you need to surround yourself with and uh, begin to have those conversations. Well, good. Well, Brian, thanks. And uh, I'll, I'll add this in there. You, you can call Josh or Jason over here at ATX Wealth Partners and we'll, we'll, we'll get you to the right people. <laughs> and Brian, you're, 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 you've been very gracious with your time in terms of, you know, being willing to hop on a call with, with us and, and, and a client that maybe is thinking about this and working through, um, you know, what that roadmap needs to look, look like. So we always appreciate that. We appreciate that too. So. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always excited and happy to meet business owners and entrepreneurs and, and provide any sort of you know, guidance and advice that we can offer. Great. Thanks for having me, Josh, on the, on the podcast. I appreciate it. Sure. Well, thank you. Well, folks, that's Brian Fishbein, uh, managing director here at UBS with our investment banking group. And we thank you for hanging in there with us and uh, spending a few minutes of your day. Thanks. On behalf of our entire team here at ATX Wealth Partners, we hope you enjoyed this program. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at atxwealthpartners at ubs.com. And remember this, know your options, be informed, and plan early. Until next time, take care and be well.